Hello, and welcome to the Tuesday, November 9th, 2021 episode of The Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. This is Craig W. Hurst, Emeritus Professor of Music, podcasting from my music bunker, along with my faithful canine companion, Carmel the Wonder Dog, to share with you my latest musical interests and discoveries. I claim no special inside information about the latest or greatest music, nor do I know everything there is to know about music. What I am is a lover of music. I enjoy several genres of music, and I share with you what has currently caught my interest, old, new, outdated, and everything in between. Even old music is brand new if you have never heard it before. The universe of music is a vast one to enjoy. From my discussions, you might find something new to you and of interest to expand your own musical universe. I currently receive no compensation or motivation of any kind from any recording label, recording artist, or the estate of any performer or composer dead and gone to discuss their music and or recordings. Now with that out of the way, welcome to my musical universe. My guest today is Libertyville, Illinois-based singer-songwriter Ike Riley. Standing on the stoop of his recording studio with his arms wide open, Ike Riley claims the whole street as his musical kingdom. For the former gravedigger and doorman, Music Row is just one house. It's the 100-year-old bungalow wedged between a nail salon and an insurance agency in Libertyville, Illinois. This is where Riley now makes his records. Libertyville is about 38 miles north of Chicago, and it's the hometown of Marlon Brando, Tom Morello of Rage Against the Machine, Adam Jones of Tool, Maureen Herman of Babes in Toyland, and many other successful artists and musicians. These folks have all fled town. Riley never left. He has lived there his entire life, and he has churned out song after song, album after album, all the while maintaining a seemingly together family life and touring America both as a lone troubadour and while leading his greasy band, the Ike Riley Assassination. <clears throat> while Libertyville certainly appears idyllic, the stories that Riley mines from it and from people in places all over the world clearly are not. Tom Morello, also a Libertyville native, says, These homogeneous Midwestern towns like Libertyville can forge rebels, and Ike Riley is just that. He's somebody who sees through the veil of BS, and you can hear it in all of his songs. Since his explosive major label debut, Salesman and Racists, Riley has been creating rebellious punk, folk, country, blues-influenced rock and roll records that are poetic and cinematic. 
Critical praise for his work has been plentiful, and he has garnered a wildly loyal fan base, from faithful fans in the dirty bars and rock clubs in the middle of nowhere to legendary authors. Riley's songs have a unique universality that affects people. Author Stephen King wrote that Riley, Riley's travel band saga, Bolt Cutter, was the best new song to come out of the Trump era. The New York Times called Riley's longtime band, The Assassination, one of the best live bands in America. And once again, they show their dexterity and growth on Riley's new offering, Because the Angels. This compelling batch of new Riley songs and tales required both a lighter touch and a ferocity that mirror the depth of Riley's writing and the varied nature of his songs. Of his work, Riley dismisses it and says, my songs are either lies or apologies. Because the angels may reveal more truth than maybe he would like. Like on all of Riley's records, the imagery, the locations and the characters are authentic, unique, and unforgettable. Because the Angels is home to racist girlfriends, killer cops, drunken candidates, swindled mothers, slandered brothers, and struggling lovers, all right here in the modern era. The king of music, Roe, has spoken. It is my pleasure to welcome to my musical universe, Ike Riley. Hello, Ike. It's great to talk doing? with you. Good to see you, Professor. Thank you very much. Uh, Ike, I'd like to get right to the general tone of your music as I'm perceiving and relating to it. Uh, and certainly, if I'm off base on my perceptions, uh, please feel free to straighten me out. <laughs> I bet you've been straightened out plenty. Well, I, I've not always been right, but you know what? I've, I've really surprised myself how many artists are amazed that I get the, get what they're getting at with their, their message and their song. But I have to be honest with you with what I'm picking up as I listen to your music. Now, I've been listening to tunes on the new album, because the angels i've also been listening to some of your back catalog or at least what spotify considers to be your most popular songs and i also have uh watched a number of videos of your songs on youtube um and so this leads me kind of first to a philosophical question in that you know the ancient greeks and romans used to say that the purpose of tragedy in drama was to serve as an emotional cleansing, a catharsis for those witnessing the drama. So here comes the question, your songs, and this is again, just my perspective, your songs seem to express a certain sarcastic irony toward realities of life. Would you characterize yourself as an optimist who sees the glass half full or as a pessimist who sees the glass half empty? Well, the early part of that question, I might not agree with. I don't see sarcasm in my music at all. Okay. I see, I see, you know, and we're not talking about the music. I think we're talking about the lyrical content here. Um, yes. But uh, 
I don't think it's sarcastic. I, I think there are stories that uh, probably, uh, I don't know, shine a light or what, the characters are either living it maybe uh, with some hypocrisy in their lives, maybe, you know, certain, but again, I've written so many songs that I can't really answer these questions in broad terms, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, I've written songs in different voices, different points of view. I've written songs from a perspective of people that I dis would despise in the real world, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I can't, I, I, I kind of disagree with your sarcasm, uh, but that wasn't the question. The question was, am I a half empty, a glass half empty person or a glass half full person? And I'd like to say like anybody, I'm not one thing or the other, you know? Mm -hmm. I think everybody is a little bit of everything. And if, and that gray area is what interests me the most. And that's, those are the places that I, I, if I had to go through my songs, I think that's where a lot of them fall, you know? Not everybody is a, a pure-blown racist and not everybody is a pure-blown saint and not everybody is, pur, pur, you know, purely asexual or oversexed or under, you mm -hmm. know, it's, that's what human beings are. And those are the people that I like to write about. Nobody's mm -hmm. perfect. Everybody's got flaws. I'm interested in my flaws and your flaws and your greatness, my greatness, if we can ever achieve it. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I think everybody's a little bit of everything. And uh, I hope okay. to try to be at least a little bit of everything. All right. Some good, some good things. Well, I, you know, I, the next question I wanted to ask you is kind of due to, you know, other singer songwriters I've listened to and books I've read. Uh, so do you maybe envision your songs or your art as being somewhat like the role Jack Kerouac had in his novels uh, when he wrote On the Road in 1949, he wrote about people he met as he was basically hitchhiking back and forth across America. And he was not running into the, the rich and the famous. He was kind of running more into people who were living uh, outside of the, uh, say, traditional realm and very colorfully, of course, describing them and their, and their lifestyle. Uh, or in a similar way, the music of Tom Waits, who I think very much deals with the dark underbelly of society, as does Mary Gaucher. Um, and what, what I, I see in their work, and I also kind of see in yours, is um, you're kind of relaying observations of another slice of life, uh, a slice that is not necessarily desirable nor pretty, but exists perhaps right under the noses of those of us who have a more mainstreamer ex experience and the niceties of a suburban lifestyle. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, because of the jobs I've had and the places my mu music has taken me in, you know, uh, 
I worked as a doorman in a hotel for like 14 years and uh-huh. right on Chicago and Avenue and Rush Street and downtown in, in Chicago. And, you know, uh, I, I didn't necessarily choose that job as a place to be a, you know, <clears throat> you know, a, to, to, as a place to eavesdrop, but that's what I did. And that's where I started writing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I saw wealthy people, poor people. Uh, I'm, I'm not <clears throat> necessarily stuck on uh, the underclass. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll really, uh, I'll take anybody's life and steal it for a song. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you talked about, you know, Kerouac and Tom Waits and, and uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Tom Waits, but his characters seem more fictional to me than my character mm-hmm. in a way, mm-hmm. maybe more mythologized, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't I'm not making judgment on either one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the characters in my songs generally have come from somebody I've brushed up against and, mm-hmm. and created, you know, um, the, the voice you hear in the songs isn't my voice. You know, it's not, I, mm-hmm. wouldn't, I wouldn't be so uh, bold or, or, you know, I, I find myself boring, but when I'm in the character, uh, that's either the narrator or a character in a song, you know, it's just like a director in a film or a writer, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. you can get lost in a song. A lot of people will, I've been, I've been screamed at by people about something I said in a song, you know, like it was me, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, but people, uh, not everybody understands that process. They think if you have a guitar and you're singing in a microphone, you believe exactly what you say. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. I do believe is what I'm trying to get them to believe. Well, I think I think you make a really great point um, on two things. I know I I would, you know, when you create a work of art, a song or or whatever, I mean, there's is a certain amount of the artist that's in the 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 art, but it also can just be an objective. uh, This is just, you know, kind of how I saw things and, and viewed things. This isn't necessarily my opinion. Uh, as much as it is a way to describe uh, a particular person or a scene or a scenario. And I, I, I'm really uh, into what you were talking about. I mean, working as a doorman, of course, you probably brushed up against all kinds of people. I, I tend sometimes to be uh, a social voyeur, if you will. I like to go to public places and watch people. And as you're watching people, sometimes you ask yourself, gee, I wonder what their story is. I did you it know? for, I did it eight hours a day, five days a week for 15 years. Yeah, yeah. And and, and, and it's no different. Like, I think back to Bob Dylan's song, uh, Rolling Stone, you know, and, and, he's, and he's painting this picture of somebody who was somebody and was, you know, kind of a, you know, hot shot, maybe in their younger years and, no, not so much. You know, it's sort of like, uh, you know, everybody has has a story. And I think that that's as a songwriter or a poet, uh, you're all we're doing is we're, we're uh, telling stories. 
we're not necessarily voicing an opinion. So I, I think I mean, I'm right there. I'm right there with you. But the the beauty of being a songwriter for a lazy person <laughs> is that you can do anything you want within a song. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. I don't mean I, I'm, I'm half kidding, but you know, there none of this is, uh, <laughs> you know, is gonna. There's no rules, you know, about mm -hmm. who you are. But getting back to, you know, you're you're talking about, you know, uh, your perspective. Some, you know, when when I'm working on a song, you know, you think of the audience, and I don't mean like the people that pay twenty dollars to come see you. I'm talking about the invisible audience you've created when you're trying to communicate that song during the, you know, the time you're writing it. Mm -hmm. and, and sometimes I you know, uh, the audience I'm writing for is some is an audience that I don't think uh, is feeling a certain way about an issue or not, you know, so, so there's little sinister tricks and, and omissions that you could, you know, guide maybe a listener to believe that maybe you are the person singing that, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, well, I know exactly, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's no different than when a writer uh, creates a novel. They're creating a work of fiction. It's not reality, but it's maybe based on something they observed or based on whatever they imagined or putting particular scenarios together or developing a storyline. And I think song, I, I you know, I'm, I'm, I believe songwriters do kind of the same thing. It's just that the story is in, you know, three to four minutes instead of, you know, three to 400 pages. Which, yeah, which can be, it's funny, I talked to this one writer, I think his name was Steve Almond. He's, uh, he's, he's written a few books and he was telling me how much harder he thought it was to write a song than all these books he wrote. And, and I was like, I, I guess I disagree because you have, you know, uh, the dimension of melody and rhythm and everything else to color a song with. But um, getting back to your other point, you know, you know, directors of films, you know, nobody, nobody thinks Martin Scorsese is really a gangster. You know what I mean? Exactly. And yet, you know, I, you know, people say, I can't believe you said, you know, this, mm -hmm. you know, particularly, you know, cause I do have, uh, you know, I have specific views about, you know, <laughs> Well, you know, and of course, but yeah, I mean, it's fiction and it doesn't necessarily mean. However, the general public sometimes has a hard time separating fact from reality. Like, I still remember the brouhaha uh, that Bruce Dern, the actor Bruce Dern, got because he shot and killed John Wayne in a movie. Hey, and you know was, what? I just saw that movie. Yeah, was he? Was that? Was he? Was that? Uh, Cowboys. The, the was he Cowboys? Yeah. That's, I had never seen that movie till last week, and you should oh, bring it up. Is it, what? Well, you know, it's like it was a, a godsend that I should bring that up. But uh, but you know, you take that that motion picture, and Bruce Stern got hate mail for years about that. Well, I'll tell you he, what, he got hate mail because he was fantastic in that movie. I hated yeah. him. And <laughs> Well, I mean, he created a character that you would want to hate, right? And then he kills John Wayne, and, and, and he, fans of John Wayne were like, well, you dirty guy, you killed John Wayne. No, I didn't. It was just a movie. It was just pretend. John, he's really still alive, you know? Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. And wow, how about the musical score? John Williams did the musical score for that. And that no, I it, a, I, I'm embarrassed to say I didn't really pay that close attention. Oh, yeah, I, I will, though, because I recorded the film. It was on uh, one of those classic movie channels. Sure. Yeah. I mean, John Williams did the score. It's an incredible. Theme. I did read that, that John Wayne claimed that was one of the most pleasurable experiences making a movie he had ever had. Wow. He was saying a lot. He wasn't looking forward to working with the kids uh -huh. and he ended up loving it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, anyway, I, I, I think, I think I'm on a, uh, you know, we're a similar wavelength, that whole idea of, you know, we separate, uh, uh, you know, uh, reality from from fiction and it's sort of like i remember that uh one of my teachers once told me that when you go out to perform you are an actor performing in the role as a musician I and, you agree. and you have to address your audience that way and that's why it's important to take bows and recognize their applause and all that kind of stuff because you you are that's how they perceive you so anyway all kinds of I took that for granted for a long time. I don't anymore, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it also protects you, you know, you you can, you know, you, you can't go and do, you know, hundreds of shows as yourself in front of strangers all the time. You know? Oh, sure. I mean, if you want to be, if you want to be effective, you know, so I agree, you got to create whatever character allows you to, you know, confidently spew mm -hmm. the crap you've written. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of this, of the spew, uh, are the songs, are the songs you write done with the idea of providing an emotional catharsis for yourself as reflections of your personal experience or, you know, or are they constructed to elicit a catharsis for others? Well, you know, just like before they're they're everything you know especially now mm -hmm. as i've been doing this so long i mean writing songs and stories and lies and apologies is part of my daily life my daily routine and so if 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 there is a known or unknown catharsis needed it'll work its way into a song um i would say if, I mean, I, I wish I was, you know, giving enough to think I would wake up and say, I really want to write something that helps somebody today. Sure. Uh, that is, has been a byproduct of a lot of things I've done. Mm -hmm. uh, and, but I think a lot of it comes from my own need to, you know, my own need to find a way to communicate well, I mean, it's like religion to me, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. religion is helps people explain the inexplicable to themselves. And I use songs to do that for me, you know, to, to mm -hmm. ease my pain and help me deal with things that I don't understand. Sure. Uh, the most uh, tangible and recent example of this, you know, I wrote this song called, called Born on Fire. And I didn't, you know, it was a, it was an apology to one of my kids, you know, that was the catalyst for it, you know, like everything else. 
it becomes more than that or even less than that. But uh, a, a fan of mine passed away a couple of weeks ago and his family reached out to me because he had been, you know, uh, getting solace from listening to our tunes uh, on his deathbed, which, uh, you know, I could make a joke about. I'm like, that, that's, that's not like a horrible idea. But <laughs> the truth of the matter was, uh, it gave him great uh, peace. And uh, I received a note from his son and his sister, and they invited me to come and perform that song at the end. Uh, during the Catholic funeral mass. And I had never done anything like that before. And I was, uh, you know, I, I went down, my wife said, you got to go do that. And I said, you know what I do, you know, why else would you write a song than to make people feel better in a time mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. sorrow. So I went and played that song and uh, it really gave everybody in the church a, you know, kind of a, and a, a release valve, you know, people were yep. kind of hooting and hollering. I, I did a medley with my song Born on Fire into Will the Circle Be Unbroken. Mm -hmm. Mass ended and bagpipers played. And, and then I received the nicest notes from the family that were meaningful, you know, and uh, my more callous self in the old days, you know, would have disregarded any you know, I would have, I've been, I would have mocked myself in the, in a self-deprecating way, you know, saying, you know, you couldn't write anything that would give anybody any peace, but it was, uh, it was uh, cathartic for them. It was cathartic for me when I wrote it. Mm -hmm. And, and it, again, uh, it, it was, uh, I guess, fulfilling in, in the most meaningful sense of that word. Mm hmm. Well, I, you know, I think there's sometimes we don't, as musicians, fully appreciate how our music does impact other people, because it impacts other pe uh, people in different ways. Uh, to some people, we're just background music in a bar, right? Uh, but to others, you know, it's meaningful poetry, meaningful melody, things that appeal to their emotional uh, selves. And, uh, you know, you know, I've, I've, I'm sure you've experienced it. And I know I have when I've had people come up to me and say, you know, the way you played that really was inspiring. And I thought, well, thank you, you know, because uh, uh, that's the gift, I guess, that we can give people as musicians when we want to give back something. Yeah, I used to think it was pretentious to think that. Uh, but then I, I have to go back and think of all the, you know, for me, it was, you know, rock and roll records that came from different places that opened my mind up to a whole new world, you know, and, mm -hmm. and that, you know, uh, you see yourself reflected back in that and it makes you feel less alone, you know, whatever, mm -hmm. the, whatever that is. For me, it was like originally blues music, then Dylan, then The Clash, and then, mm -hmm. you know, elements of hip hop. And, you know, I can go on and on with every. Sure genre but but as a as a young person i mean those things were super important to me and i you know sometimes forget that when people come up and you know they say this or that you know was an important part of their life or it got them through mm -hmm. 
So yeah, I, I don't take it for granted anymore. And yeah, yeah, because you know, you never know who's uh, in your audience and what you're doing for them. That's right. true. Well, uh, speaking of audiences, please tell my audience who about who or what is your muse. Who or what inspires you to write a new song? You know, man, I, I wish I could. Uh, I mean, people have said it's my, my wife that I'm in constant uh, need to impress her because I never have. In my, you know? <laughs> uh, but, you know, I mean, I uh, have. I mean, it ha I don't ever have a problem like writing that, you know, I, I can write a song every day. I could start a song every day. They can be like we talked about earlier, you know, in different voices from in different perspectives. Um, initially, you know, my biggest, the things that influenced me the most were books and movies as a kid. You mm -hmm. know, I started as a musician in my 20s. I did play the harmonica as a little kid and I was pretty good at it actually by about 12 or 13 in the cross heart blues style. Um, but, uh, you know, it's who you meet, what you see, who you read, uh, and that's it for me, you know, I, I understand mean, it's, it's human contact and it's bigger situations, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's, uh, uh, the ignorance of others <laughs> uh, sometimes will make me want to take a position against them in a song, you know, and sure. So, yeah, I understand. Um, well, speaking of developing as a singer, who, who were your models for your singing style? Well, you've heard me sing and <laughs> I should have picked better models. You know, <laughs> There's uh, nothing I, wrong with your voice, Ike. Well, it's, you know, it's, again, you got have limited uh, singing capabilities, but that doesn't mean I can't communicate stories, you know what I mean, in my yeah. song. You know, The Clash, any imperfect singer, uh, I would, I wouldn't try to emulate, but I'd be like, all right, if they can do that, I'll find, I'll find something that's unique to me, uh, my stories, and I'll communicate them with this voice that I have, you know, because okay. I don't really, uh, my whole goal, you know, I, I could, I could, we could sit and talk about music business and the obscurity of my career or to some, and then the success, you know, some people think it's successful, you know, obviously I'd always want to reach more people, but the one thing that I have, uh, I think I've, you know, I've tried to be unique and authentic and uh i've surrounded myself with musicians who are are you know creative and loyal enough to try to surround my stories with unique instrumentation and arrangements and sounds and you know that's what we can control and mm -hmm. when i'm i don't want to release anything that's embarrassing to me and sure. i want it to be unique to me and I'd say if you went through the themes of my songs, they're pretty unique to my experience. I, I would agree. I would agree wholeheartedly. And I think that, you know, your voice, your style is, is a unique, unique one. And, and it, I mean, it certainly caught my ear. There's no, no doubt about it. Uh, I think the one label I would put on it is, is just honest. 
it's who you are. Yeah, I mean, and honesty is a funny thing. You know, it's not honest. Like you hear that term sometimes in a listener might or a, one of our your listeners, your show might think honest, like, you know, like singer songwriter honest. I mean, what's honest is when I'm singing about, you know, uh, some coke addict, uh, you know, the, it's honest in the sense that you believe that the guy singing is that cocaine addict. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, you know, or whatever. Well, I, or whatever, a killer, you know, whatever it is, but yeah. No, I mean, you've create, you create a viable, believable character, just like an actor does. And then you deliver a monologue, except your monologue is in the form of a song. Yep. Yeah. I'd say it's very much the same thing. Yeah. Well, did you have any particular singer songwriters that you admire and perhaps you may have modeled yourself after? I mean, if you don't, if you are any kind of songwriter and you don't listen to Bob Dylan or what he's done, I mean, it's it's insane. It's an insane amount of incredible songs from every kind of perspective you could ever imagine. You know, mm-hmm. so yeah, I mean, that's the anybody else. You know, there's that guy, and then there's a million other guys. You know? Sure, sure, and but. Um, so, but you can't, you know, I don't want to copy that guy. So, you know, you create your own stories, you know, uh, mm-hmm. um, there, there are, uh, what am I, th- who am I thinking of? Did you say singers or song, like literal? Well, like, I, I think, uh, you know, uh, songwriters, but singer songwriters, you know, people who, yeah, who, who, know, who have done I, what you there's do. There's a ton I like. And the more I like them, the more I try not to sound like them. Probably that's know. probably a good idea because I mean, you don't. Otherwise, need... you get like you know. I got my own, you know. I'm, you know, in my own territory now. You know? Sure. And you don't get anywhere by being merely an echo or a photocopy. No, if you, in, in fact, that one, it might be one reason we aren't more are not more successful. I mean, there's this whole Americana genre and this whole Nashville scene. I mean, I could sit in a room with people and write songs for money, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can write a song any time, you know, any. Sure. But life's too short for me to sit in a room with a bunch of strangers and sing about, you know, uh, things that aren't, as you mentioned earlier, cathartic for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd rather, I'd rather, you know, blow my brains out than sit with strangers and work on stuff. I got people I love, a band I love, family. I got things I want to do and I don't want to waste a minute of my life working on a song that's, you know, temporary or by committee. And so I, I hear a lot of bands that and super successful artists that just sounds so pedestrian to me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would never be small enough to criticize him by name. I'm just saying, I, you know, it just doesn't do anything for me. No, I, I, I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. I mean, it's like with my podcast, I've been asked, why don't you interview more famous people? And I say, because the more famous people don't need me. I want to go after people I've never heard of. People I who hope, are. I hope I never come back to your show because of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, but you know, I like I like what I like to do is is because I'm first and foremost an educator, 
mean, that's what all my degrees in. That's what my career was. And so what I'm trying to do in my own little ways is educate the rest of the world. And I have a worldwide audience that there's a lot of great music out there by people you've never heard of. Absolutely. I mean, you know, when you, when you tour on the level I'm at, you come across people all the time that are incredible artists that nobody's ever heard of. I mean, I mean, and, and that, and that's exactly what I've run across. I've run across so much great music by people that I was until, you know, a publicist or an agent, you know, asked me if I'd be interested in interviewing them. I'd never heard of. And I'm going, wow, this is, this is great. And it's been in all kinds of genres, blues and country and pop and singer songwriters, you know, the whole bit. So, so, yeah. uh, you know, it's something you, that you I enjoy. This, do you edit this show? Do I edit it? Yeah, yeah. I try to. Good. Cause we're just babbling. I, I, we went all, I, I think, I don't know if we've, if, if I've wasted a bunch of your time. Oh no, no, no. I don't edit out that kind of stuff. I just edit out if we, you know, somebody sneezes or barfs or whatever, uh, <laughs> oh. because I like my show to be more, like I said, more of a discussion rather than yeah. you just ask a question, you answer it. So we're fine. Yeah. We're fine. Right. Uh, I'm curious, Ike, about your creative process. When you write a song, do you start with a melodic idea, a rhythmic idea, a particular set of chords, or do you just work from a more holistic particular mood or emotion? Again, everything you said, you know, I mean, I might, I might have a, you know, I might have something I want to write about. I might mm -hmm. have uh, uh, you know, a chord, chord pattern with a certain rhythm. Uh, I might pick up a guitar with no idea whatsoever and I hit a chord and a melody and a lyric and it, I've written songs like that where I, you know, just hit a chord and started singing and mm -hmm. the whole thing came out you know yeah yeah um uh i've got a, i used to have a little recorder now it's my phone i have 400 voice memos of <laughs> you know ideas things that i was driving and could have finished but didn't couldn't sit down and mm -hmm. write it down and <clears throat> i start sometimes even with drum beats you know i mean so there, I, there's no, uh, there's discipline to it for me because once I get it, I'll try to finish it. But, you know, um, it, it comes from everything. It okay. starts with a melody. It starts with a lyric. It starts with a word. It starts with a concept. It starts with mm -hmm. a guitar. It starts with a piano. It starts with a drum, you know. Mm -hmm. Just whatever so, seems to work at the moment. Whatever I, you yeah. know. I, whatever I happen to have around. Or, you know. Okay. No, that's a fair, that's a fair answer. I, I actually get that answer a lot. Yeah. That there isn't uh, a formulaic way of doing things. And of course, I mean, why you would you limit yourself to anything? It, well, exactly. Exactly. It's just, you know, there are some songwriters that, you know, they are uh, like is one from Atlanta, Georgia, I interviewed several year, months ago. And she basically I think was more of a poet. So she'd write down and she'd have scads of different lyric ideas. And then she'd go back and put melody and chords to it. But I do you that, know, you know, that's what I'm saying. I do yeah. that too. Yeah, you do that, but yeah, yeah. And you do other things as well. 
but yep. everybody's different and that's that's what's great uh and you already answered my next question so we can move on i don't know what it is <laughs> but it, it, well i was going to ask you if you did keep a sketchbook of your ideas and you told me that you did in your answer I got so it written oh sorry i got i got things written down all over this place on the walls on oh. the notebooks on my phone on the piano uh everywhere you know? okay well, let's get right to the, the, the new album. And I want to focus on three songs that really caught my ear. First, these are the three that I think really stood out to me. Uh, you know, and so knowing that you have written Someday Tonight will seem like a long time ago, inspired by the demonstrations that occurred in Kenosha, Wisconsin in August of 2020. And of course, by the way, I, I just live up I-94 from Kenosha. So I've had and followed lots of the news reports about, about what happened in Kenosha and, uh, and everything even right up to, uh, uh, what was it, day before yesterday where they decided not to charge the officer who shot. Uh, with a federal crime. Yes, with a federal crime. And also, of course, what's going on with the Kyle Rittenhouse trial and all of that. Um, and I was also very much moved by the video that you made to go with that song. Um, it really uh, impacted me just from the standpoint of, because I've never been to Kenosha. I've, the closest I've been to Kenosha is I've, I've been to the UW Parkside campus. And I know that's not Kenosha, you know, downtown. So do you feel that uh, that an example of like this song and your art or, or music about such events can sway public opinion, uh, get, you know, or is the song mostly an observation about a terrible event and its aftermath? Well, first of all, I live, you know, 28 miles from there. And yep. all three of my boys were living there. Okay. Um, my children. Uh, the night Jacob Blake was shot, my youngest son had moved into his dorm in Kenosha to go to school there. Okay. Uh, my oldest son called me, who's out way out of school, and says, Did you, you know, I mean, did you see this video of what happened in Kenosha? I had no idea. Mm -hmm. And I saw it and I was like, oh man. And then, you know, all hell broke loose with, you know, right-wing militias being called there, BLM protesters. Uh, what I think is pretty sh a shoddy police force. I mean, um, but I found, uh, I mean, there's, it, it's, it's, it's complicated, this particular song and the situation, you know, mm -hmm. it's complicated in the sense it was so personal to me. Uh, and it was so, it, we were so exhausted from all these police shootings, at least, you know, that's how I see it, you know, I mean, yeah. uh, it's, it's just like, are you kidding me? I mean, and at, I, at, at the very least, it was the most poorly trained police officer in the world. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
and and as soon as people started you know saying you know jacob blake had a knife or this or that you know like i said i saw what i saw i don't need anybody to tell me anything about that you know i'm not you know i'm you know um and the vibe of that song was the exhaustion of conflict and injustice you know that's what it's about mm -hmm. it's it, it's about it's it's you know i hope someday this is going to seem like a long time ago because this kind of thing won't happen anymore mm -hmm. whether that's you know a realistic opinion or not i don't know you know i i certainly hope so you know to answer your question i'm a i guess i'm a glass half full guy you know mm -hmm. I, I want you know i want to see human beings treat other human beings properly you know mm -hmm. and so uh, but what really set me off was, was fundraisers to, you know, defend Rittenhouse, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, uh, and he's a pathetic character as well. You know, it's sad. How, how does a 17 year old, you know, got any, you know, I mean, I understand, you know, my, if my dad was alive, he'd say I was in world war two at 17. Mm -hmm. True enough. This kid wasn't, you know, World War II material, you know. I mean, he, he's obviously somebody got it, you know, got got to him, and where the value of life, you know, wasn't that significant to him, you know, or right. meaningful. And and then to and then you know it, it splits people right down the middle, you know. But all I know is I see I see a cop uh, shooting a guy seven times. It seems like there's gotta be a better tactical move than that. Mm -hmm. Uh, because that shooting of course is going to enrage people like me and like a lot of other people mm -hmm. uh, and, and uh, particularly the people that are oppressed all the time, you know, people of color and, and, uh, and then, you know, the place erupts, you know, and, so that particular song really came from obviously an incident feeling, mm -hmm. you know, my mm -hmm. son did call me and, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, and then I went up there the night, the very, you know, the day after the, I think it was the day after Rittenhouse shot those people. I, well, I was there before. And then I went up there the day and walked through the mm -hmm. downtown, you know, yeah. with, with my middle son, Mm -hmm. And I had written that song already, you know, mm -hmm. I had, you know, and that video we shot was before I had even recorded the song. I'll be darned. And, you know, uh, I was working on it. I don't know why, you know, I don't even know if, I think I wrote and recorded and shot that video in three days, you know, uh -huh. from the time I, you know, uh, not that I should get a, an award for the speed of the <laughs> of the production, but you know, um, the, but the song has a certain fatigue to it. Exactly. Yet, you know, it, and it's kind of peculiar. And my band was able to capture it. And there's like lazy kind of diminished chords, and you know. Uh, I got some very negative responses to that song hmm. from, 
uh, people that took it immediately as an anti-policing song. And, uh, you know, the, the, I had a discussion with one guy. I said, really, if you listen to it, there's nothing in there that's anti-policing unless you must be viewing that police work as bad, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know. Well, I, you know, I think you captured beautifully just the, the, the sheer exhaustion that we're all experiencing over all the crap that's going on and how we're sick and tired of seeing it and hearing it on the news and all the different kinds of things. And, and, and I thought the way that you both ended, or I mean, began and ended the video, sitting on the steps of the church with your face in your hands was a very effective way of portraying that exhaustion, that I'm, I'm tired of all of this, I'm fed up with it, I want it to end. Uh, and the simplicity of the video, just you walking through downtown and past all of the places boarded up and the burned up automobiles and things like that, and that starkness of all of that. Uh, anyway, I personally felt that was a very effective presentation. So I, I applaud you on that. Yeah, it was simple and it was effective. And, and, and actually, I needed to write that song because I couldn't. I couldn't argue with anybody about it. I, I didn't have that, you know, uh, somebody who I was talking to, you know, Jacob Blave, you know, he was out on parole. He's a three-time offender, you know, he had a knife and all, you yeah, know, yeah. I just don't, I'm like, man, you know, you don't get shot seven times in the back for that kind of thing. There's well, five cops there. I got, an, I got an argument with one of my more conservative friends about the, uh, about the George Floyd incident up in Minneapolis. And he went through the whole litany of the criminal background. And I said, yes, but not one of those crimes he committed is punishable by death. And that's what he got. It, he's already answered to those crimes. Exactly. Yeah, they, those are in the past. It's just, it's just people, you know, I mean, we, the cut. The country is, is built on, listen, I'm privileged. You know, I want, I'm a college graduate. My dad, you know, wasn't, uh, I, I had the, I have the privilege of being able to choose a life to write songs. You know, um, if I'm ever really struggling for money, I got people I could lean on, you know, I'm not alone in this shit, sure. but um, but you know, not country, everybody else in the world is like that though. And I know, I know exactly where you're coming from. I thank God every day that I am who I am. And then I know that I am where I am and what I've accomplished because I've had privileges. Yeah. And, and what, and what I'm saying is, yeah, but the country that gives us these privileges is built on a lot, a lot, a lot of dark dark mm -hmm. genocidal policy mm -hmm. and and you can't move forward till we deal with it I the, agree. Place, the place is going to implode i mean look at the states of illinois wisconsin and minnesota and the and the you know the the native americans that aren't here anymore you know mm -hmm. yeah. i mean and look at you know i mean I, i'm not giving your listeners a maybe actually people don't really know you know they're arguing about bringing down you know the, the the confederate statues that were put up 
way after the Civil War, just to keep mm-hmm. people, you know, to, you know, I mean, these weren't like remnants of 1850. These, a lot of these uh, monuments were put up, you know, in the 30s, 40s, 50s, you know. Exactly, exactly. You know, so, you know, it's just, to, to, to your point of arguing, you know, for me, I had to, that song to me, you know, says, you know, I'm tired of the hypocrisy of Christians raising money to defend you know, I hear you. this or that or any religion, you know, I'm, I mean, I was a theology major at, I went to Marquette, you know, in Milwaukee, mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm not a religious person at all anymore. In fact, I've, I, you know, the suffering that, you know, Christianity, Islam, all of the religions have created is, is so insurmountable. It's, but until you deal with that stuff, um, I feel like the country is, you know, what's that cliche? Uh, one foot on a banana peel and one in, you know, on the, over the grave. I don't know exactly what it is, but yeah, or going to hell in a handbasket. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it, you know, democracy is is there's no yeah. such thing as democracy, really. Yeah, you know? yeah, it yeah. can't really work totally. Yeah, uh, but. But I, you know, personal freedoms and the equality are what they're all based on. That's what it's based on. Sure, sure. Until everybody, you know, until people realize, you know, either you're a human being or you're not. I mean, exactly. There's just humans without the qualifiers. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm right there with you. And, and, And if you look at the duration of time, you know, all these meaningless arguments, you know, I mean, sure. Nobody's going to know who the hell anybody is 10,000 years from now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, I also want to point out, too, that one of my favorite songs on the album is the Muhammad Ali Museum. And there was a lot of reasons I like this song. Now, the first major appeal to me personally was the imagery you paint with your lyrics. The tone of the song is about someone falling short again. At least that's what I picked up. As they seem to have been all of their life and making a self-comparison to the greatness accomplished by someone like Muhammad Ali. That's exactly what the song's about. Well, there you have it. See, I am right every once in a while. (laughs) (laughs) Every blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay, the second major appeal to me on an artistic level was your choice to use pedal steel guitar and other musical elements that really point more towards an older country western style to give it that kind of sound. Now, the, the reason this is beautiful to me is because it's a perfect juxtaposition. Country music is not a style I would have associated with those who loved and admired Muhammad Ali. Okay. And are certainly the country music is more associated with white working class people. So again, I believe that music worked as an awesome juxtaposition. So you've got the protagonist in the song uh, as a down and uh, this is the way I pictured him, a down and out white man admitting there is no comparison to himself and Muhammad Ali. That's so true. would you comment? Well, 
it's funny. Uh, I was on tour with the band Cracker. Do you know the band Cracker? I've heard of them. They're a, uh, uh, the, the leader of that band, the songwriter, David Lowry is a brilliant dude that I like a lot. And, you know, they had, uh, he's had lots of hits that you probably heard, you know, but mm-hmm. um, I opened for him in Louisville and it wasn't the greatest gig. And I found myself at the museum. So <laughs> the, the, the catalyst was really, you know, it was, I was like, you know, I'm a huge boxing. I love boxing. Mm-hmm. There's so Me many too. different versions. And I, of course, love Ali. And and I love, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I have romantic notions of immigrants and that that American success story that it, I know is bullshit, but there are uh, so many examples of where it isn't, you know. And boxing is one place you can change the trajectory of your entire family mm-hmm. and it's always been an immigrant sport you know mm-hmm. uh, african-americans as well you know mm-hmm. so um so being a fan i obviously of the greatest fighter of all time i i found myself in the museum and and started thinking about that you know as he fought for justice and equality i realized well no we're not all equal because i'm way below Ali, <laughs> you know, in the most, you know, I, I know we are, we're, uh, he's saying, well, I should be treated equal, all men are equal, but who's equal to that guy with his brain, influence, heart, and beauty, and athleticism, you know, nobody in my yeah. eyes. Yeah. And so I, I thought it was kind of funny to say, you know, if you and I were born equal champ, I guess I've been on a downhill slide, you know, mm-hmm. since... You know, um, and the pedal steel happens to be the pedal steel player from the band Cracker. Oh. Uh, and I had really always avoided that instrument in its traditional sense because it does pigeonhole music. And so you are again astute because I, you know, I asked my brain trust. <laughs> and I use that term loosely. I said, you know what? What do you think if we throw a little pedal steel on a couple of these songs that are maybe not as traditionally theme, you know, traditionally country and western themed, like the song Laura, which is about dating a racist, and the song The Muhammad Ali Museum. And we opted to do it. And uh I you know, I don't know if, if it works or it doesn't work, but according to you, uh, you, the, the irony of that, you know, you didn't miss. Yeah. Well, I mean, it worked. I, I, that's what I thought. I thought it was just because I was, I was getting it the, through the imagery. I was envisioning this and I thought, you know, adding that pedal, you know, making a kind of a countryish, you know, uh, honky-tonk kind of statement i thought yeah okay so it's really identifying the protagonist of the song as a down and out white guy yeah and and also and and also if you were listening to that kind of music you might listen to that song and say what you know because it also comes from the 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 the, uh 
kind of road song like Sunday morning coming down, you know, where, you know, I've been on the road a lot. So I write about that, you know, it comes from a perspective of somebody that's, you know, looking for weed or drugs mm -hmm. and, you know, where he is, you know, standing somewhere, you know, we were in Louisville, you know, and so, um, you know, and you're, and you're, you're taking stock or, or evaluating where you are in your life and in the world. And, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh, so, you know, the guy says, you know, it's just another night being average. Yeah. In Louisville. Well, along similar lines, another favorite song of mine from the album is the failure of St. Michael. And I thought that the song was an excellent portrayal of two individuals for whom St. Michael, the archangel, the one who is to combat Satan and be a champion for all Christians, has for these individuals in the song fallen down on the job, yep. leaving, leaving them in their predicament of alcohol abuse, unemployment, or other trials and tribulations that, that are not unfamiliar in our society today. They're living lives of despair. And uh, that's what came across to me about that song. Well, that's exactly what it is. I'm going to, my phone over there. I'm sorry about that's that. That's okay. Don't worry about it. Okay. Um, I was, I got to shut it off. Sorry. Okay. No problem. Uh, yeah. You know, but hey, you know, at least I'm two for two. You're, I mean, dude, I don't really, explain the songs to anybody i had to do i had to do the most elaborate explanation for that american songwriter magazine uh-huh but you I, I should send you the songs when i'm done and then you can tell me what they're about <laughs> that is what it's about but you know it's yeah. like like i said about the about the uh kenosha song you know I can't articulate what songs are, are about as well as I can write them. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. like, sure. I know I what understand. I'm trying. I know what I'm trying to do, but I'm not that intellectual where I can uh, decipher or, or or explain. And and frankly, I don't have to because the no. songs were. But I'm glad that is exactly what it's about. I mean, it it's about. I mean, you hit it on the head, but it's about, you know, there's an incident that they share. Somebody's somebody's done wrong to Charlie, the character. They have a connection to the past. He and Vicky, uh, they live in a place where he's got a job that's tenuous. He's leaning on booze and pills. And his big fear is that uh, St. Michael couldn't protect him from Satan. And Satan may show up and steal his drugs you know oh, yeah, i and hear you i hear you but, but you're right you know uh, yeah. again it's the it's the it's the it's you know the the false promise of eternity and answers from you know pretty much outdated belief systems every single day we live you know we learn more and more about closer things to the truth you know mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and yeah. you can choose to believe them 
and move forward or you can just be hanging back in the old days, which is what that song F the old days is all about. I understand. Know? I understand. Well, I, I, I assume that you are probably one of those songwriters who is maybe constantly writing new material. That's true. And uh, now that you've got the, this album kind of in the, in the can, so to speak, are you planning for the next one? Well, I'm already, you know, working on it. I've got, you know, I've got plenty of songs. The the logistics of it are, you know, we got to go out and work now and tour on this record. And I'm really sure. looking forward to that. We're going on tour all over the Midwest in November, you know, from St. Louis, Bloomington, Illinois, Indianapolis, Fort Wayne, Chicago, Pittsburgh, uh, um, Ferndale, Michigan, Madison, Milwaukee, Minneapolis. Mm, where are you going to play in Milwaukee? Uh, Shank Hall. Oh, sure, sure. That's a nice venue. Well, you probably know Shank yep. Hall. Yep. Yeah, there. that's a that's a nice venue. I think uh, it's not too big. It's, like I, yeah, because you can experience the artist on a on a more intimate level than say if you were at the Riverside or the Paps or something yeah. like that. Yeah, it, it it'll be great. Uh, Good for you. Good. Um, and uh, for the first time, uh, I've I've played with this incredible band, the Ike Riley Assassination. But this tour will also be joined by my boys, my my genetic <laughs> offspring. <laughs> that uh been my uh sharing uh, background and lead vocals on some of the on this new record as well so it'll be kind of a uh folk punk rock revival i'd say oh awesome well i'll check your web page to find out when you're going to be in my neighborhood and i think it's uh, i think it's the not the night before Thanksgiving, but the night before that, the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. Tuesday before Thanksgiving. Well, re memorize my face because you might see me <laughs> in the audience. You'll be hard to forget. <laughs> yeah, like I say, I have a face for radio. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm gonna. I just have a couple more questions to ask yeah. you, and this is for many one of the hardest questions because I, you're going to have to filter things down. Uh, what have been the most, what has been the most memorable experience of your career? Oh, uh, uh, one was playing on the steps of the Wisconsin Capitol during the, you know, in 2011 with Tom Morello and Wayne Kramer during the teacher's strike and when Scott Walker was busted. Oh yeah. Back when there were a million people around the, around the Capitol. I remember that very well. Yeah. And I stood up there and sung songs that was that was exciting you know uh i've got to open for a few of my heroes the pogues from ireland and joe strummer from the clash those were highlights but um you know i played a million clubs and you know had the you know the pleasure of having people you know tattoo their my lyrics on their bodies and all sorts of weird oh my things. goodness and uh but i'd have to say one of the most fulfilling things was that funeral service that i played just a couple weeks ago we just okay just a five minute performance no fee no alcohol no spotlights just the uh you know stark marble altar and my guitar i felt that I could have never done that any other time in my life, 
because of lack of confidence and uh, and not taking what I have written seriously enough to think it'd be valuable to to anybody else. Mm -hmm. So uh, <coughs> those are the quickest ones, you know. I've yeah. also had a million incredible music ex musical experiences with my bandmates. I mean, where else in the world can you have you have five people that share the knowledge of 150 songs that you've written? Mm -hmm. It's a bizarre thing. And we are in a way, uh, you know, we don't write things down and, and within the context of the songs I've written, there's a lot of improvisation. So it's, it's pretty fulfilling to have that connection with four other human beings, you know? Yeah. And you really get inside each other's heads. I know exactly what you're talking about. Cause I experienced the same thing with, <laughs> with the groups I play with and it is it and it's difficult to put into words to musically lay people what that's like I think yeah. you really have to be a musician to know it well that's awesome but Ike is there anything else you'd like to add or tell my audience that I have not asked you about uh no you know the record is because the angels it's available anywhere you can stream steal or uh, you can order music and see everything we're doing at ikereilly.com um uh we have a this is exciting uh next year there'll be a full-length documentary called don't turn your back on friday night that's about uh our path and our songs and it's gonna it has you know shooter jennings tom morello mm. david lowry uh, all sorts of fans and critics and incredible live performances It'll be honest about my uh, use of alcohol and leaving alcohol. And you'll be able to see what alcohol can do to a decent performer. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and I'm excited for the film, you know. Okay. Well, that sounds great. That sounds great. Well, Ike, thank you for taking time to talk with me today. And uh, I want to wish you all the best. Uh, with what I'm sure is going to be a continued successful musical future. Well, we'll see about that, my man. <laughs> All right. I'm, there's, you know, I've been doing it a long time and I'm, I'm not turning back. So there you go. I've already considered it successful just to be able to, you know, go and write and record a song and have people want to buy it or steal it or listen to it. All right. Well, all the, all the best to you. Thanks again. Best to you, professor. You bet. My discovery composer of the week is French composer Albert Rousseau, born in 1869, died in 1937. Though Rousseau was touched by the successive waves of Impressionism and Neoclassicism in French music, he was an independent figure, his music harmonically spiced and rhythmically vigorous. When he was 15, his guardians decided to send him to Paris to pursue his studies at the Collège Stanislas. Rousseau passed the entrance exam for the École Navale in 1887. He was sent to sea several times, notably to the Near East. At 25, Rousseau decided to become a musician and resigned from the French Navy in 1894. He settled in Paris that October and began to study music. Four years later, he entered the Schola Cantorum, 
where he studied under Dandy. Roussel's career coincided with two distinct historical periods, the first stretching from the late 19th century to the outbreak of World War I, the second ending as World War II approached. To some extent, his music reflects the predominant styles of French music in those years. Diverse influences are evident in the works of his early manner, but he gradually shed them work by work until he arrived at a unique personal language in which he was to have no followers. His career was one of evolution, not revolution. And, though traces of various aesthetic schools can be found in his music. The traditional forms, cyclic principle, and programmatic content of the earliest works testify to the influence of the scola. The composer's personality begins to reveal itself in the chamber works and the eight Ringier songs. Roussel's Impressionism is not that of Debussy or Ravel, for his music transmutes sensations into more abstract images. If Rustique, from 1904 to 1906, represents a sharp contrast to its predecessor among his major piano works in respect to harmonic language, counterpoint, and rhythmic ingeniousness, the suite Opus 14, composed five, five years later, testifies to a profound change. Although the suite contains Roussel's first experiments with Indian modality, the full depth of this influence emerged only later in evocations. A renewal of interest in the piano led Roussel to write the sonatine. Les Festes de Rajny marks the conclusion of Roussel's first period. The opera ballet Padmavati represents the culmination of Roussel's fascination with India in its subject matter. Roussel reached a turning point as the 1920s dawned. He looked for a style and new techniques that would enable him to organize his musical ideas. More chromaticism, the use of bitonality, more ample forms, and a more complex harmonic language in the symphony are the dominant characteristics of this period of transition. The mature works, which begin with the orchestral suite in F, Roussel pays his dues to the contemporary taste in borrowing musical forms from the 18th century and rediscovering the spirit of concision typical of that era but it is the grandeur of his contrapuntal and linear writing that makes the greatest impression. In the music Roussel composed after 1925, he achieved his ideal of a music willed and realized for its own sake. An eclectic, he forged a personal, unique style in a modern idiom resting on the foundations of traditional music. Never having wished for disciples, he remained independent and unique. The All Music Guide lists three recordings of Roussel's ballets, 
23 recordings of his chamber music, three recordings of his choral music, four recordings of his concerti, 11 recordings of his keyboard works, one recording of his opera ballet, Padmavati, four of his symphonies, 13 of his other orchestral works, and 31 of his works for voice. Certainly a treasure trove of music to discover of this lesser known early 20th century French composer. In my show notes is a link to a YouTube performance of Roussel's Sinfionetta for String Orchestra, Opus number 52, performed by the NDR Elbe Philharoni Orchestra, conducted by Pavo Jarvi. That wraps episode number 55. My show notes, along with links to artist websites, recording label websites, YouTube videos of artist performances, are all posted on my Facebook page, The Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. Coming up next week, I will be interviewing Oakland, California-based singer-songwriter Cheska. We will talk about her new recording, Feel the Breeze, among other topics related to her music and creative process. Upcoming interviews include the R&B-influenced duo Dwight and Nicole, Dwayne Betts of the Almond Betts Band, and Nashville-based singer-songwriter Hadley Kennery. So don't touch that dial and stay tuned. If you have questions, comments, or a suggestion of an artist, composer, or musical style for me to consider, you may email me at h-u-r-s-t-c at u-w-m dot e-d-u. So until next time, this is Professor Craig W. Hurst and Carmel the Wonder Dog signing off from the musical universe of Professor Hurst. Have a great day.